U.S. Women's National Water Polo Team won an Olympic gold medal last Saturday in Tokyo, in case you didn't already know that. It's their third straight, and while the team was littered with veterans of past games, there were some newcomers too, like Elise Williams. Here's my conversation with her while still in the glow of an Olympic championship. She rightfully got a lot of publicity during NBC broadcasts of her games at the Tokyo Olympics that just passed. The final cut from the 2016 USA women's roster, she turned something that was surely had to be disappointing into something really quite fortifying, and that strength was on full display as Elise Williams not only made the 2020 Olympic roster, but finished the Tokyo Olympics with eight goals, five steals, and 10 exclusions from center defense. I had to throw that in there. It was a statistic I couldn't <laughs> help, you know. Part uh, of my job. <laughs> exactly right. But most importantly, she's now wearing a shiny new gold medal after she and her teammates crushed Spain. That's my word, not yours. 14 to 5 to finish a very challenging tournament with the team's third straight Olympic championship. She joins me via Zoom. Elise Williams, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you for having me. So um, were, your story got pitched quite a bit on NBC, as I suggested. Were you aware of that? Was that something that you had? Yeah, I don't think it's something that you promoted, but it's something that the press certainly found out about. No, I had no clue. I, I mean, I've talked to a few people from NBC, but they also came to the pool deck to kind of gather all of our stories so that they had something to connect the viewers to as they were watching our games. Um, but yeah, a lot of my friends and family were like, yeah, they, they talked about your story quite a bit. I was like, really? <laughs> I was not expecting it to be that. Well, I don't want to, I guess. Yeah. I don't want to diminish it. Cause it is a, it is a real story. You, all of those things are factually true. You were the last cut. It ha I mean, again, you tell me how was that being the last cut in 2016? And then this must be at least something akin to redemption after that. Yeah, obviously that was heartbreaking. Like we're not like other sports that just come together a month before the Olympics. Like I was training for four, almost four years for the 2016 quad and with that group of girls. So to not make that team, it was devastating. And then, um, I was very proud of those girls. I got to go to Rio and watch for sure. Um, I was excited about that, but it, there was a part of me that whole time that was like, gosh, I want this so bad. Like your dreams for the last four years don't just go away just cause you get cut. So, um, yeah, I'd made a decision to come back and this doesn't, take place of that that's still part of my story it's still I'm still proud of myself from 2016 like I made that far you know like is a whole different feeling and I'm very proud of it and I'm still kind of on a high from it so oh really as you should be that's right um <laughs> by the way NBC for all their efforts and finding your story still called you Alice so I just every once in a while I think it was Burmeister but I'm, I'm not sure I don't think yeah. it was Tony <laughs> I don't think I'm used to it I'm sure you are uh yeah so okay so the Give uh, your listeners like an overall perspective of the entire Olympic experience. And what I mean, we're going to get into the games here in a moment, right? So that, that we all know that that's sort of like what the focus is among the water polo community. But this is obviously your first experience at Olympics. It's not like you haven't been to other big scale competitions, but not like this. So mm -hmm. what was it? How would you describe it from start to finish? What were the highlights? What were the things that were annoying? You know, all of those things. Oh my gosh, there's a lot. Yeah, I'll bet. There. It's, <laughs> it was a completely different experience, like you said. Like I came into this being like, all right, I've played in a couple world championships. I've played in some NCAA championships. Like I know big water polo, but this was a completely different stage. Like you're in a village with athletes who 
you've grown up watching as a little kid or athletes that you're inspired by or I don't know just like in completely different sports so you're learning one about like new sports you've never watched before you get to watch all the olympic games on all the different channels in the olympic village and um, you're walking past all these different athletes you get your gear packages which is a whole experience in and of itself so like it was overwhelming to us like you almost forget about the water polo when you first show up you're like wow this whole thing is just way bigger than water polo it's way bigger than myself and um you I like kind of not gonna lie like lost sight of a little bit of water polo early on because I was like so overwhelmed with the experience um and then it wasn't until like after our first game or like showing up to first game and I was like okay wait I need to refocus like this is about the water polo you know it's not about everything else um while I wanted to experience and enjoy everything else it was for me it was about refocusing back to the games um because like you said it's it's a lot It's it's a big difference between world championships and the olympic games what did, what did you get for gear? Because I, I – and I'll, let me just add, add, add something. Uh, so I worked at the 84 Olympics back when I was a kid, and they would give the players all kinds of stuff. I imagine that now it's like five times as much as they did back then. But I think that many people don't understand. Like they think, oh, these athletes, they're so jaded and stuff. They don't No, it's like you guys love the stuff you get. So what was memorable or what, what's your favorite stuff that you got in one of your gear packages? Oh my gosh. It was, we have so much, like, I still haven't finished. I've been home for three days now and I'm still not done unpacking. And I told my husband, I was like, I need to start throwing away my old clothes because I have no room for all of this. We got so much. And I'm very thankful for everybody that's helped put that together. But, um, I don't know. It's just, I think the stuff that's the coolest is the stuff I can wear day to day, like the hats or the, um, like we got some like tie dye stuff from Ralph Lauren, which is that. awesome in my opinion. It's so cool. <laughs> um, yeah, and we got some like a phone and some headphones and like just little things that you don't really think about. Like the the opening close and closing ceremonies outfits are obviously awesome and they were really cool to put on in the moment. But that's not stuff I'm gonna wear every day. You know, that's <laughs> stuff that's gonna get dry cleaned and get hung up for <laughs> to show and tell. But um, there's just a lot of a lot of gear to be honest like so much so that i haven't i don't know what to do with it <laughs> hey have you watched the nbc uh version of the gold medal game nope i had it recorded though and i want to sit down and watch it i'm gonna spoil one thing for you which is uh, you are obviously not the outcome you were there but uh uh the men's team was sta- in the stand supporting you wearing the tie-dye and Tony Azevedo, I'll just put it this way, was not a fan. So <laughs> it's it's one of the funny points about the game. It's like, what are they wearing up there? So I, apparently you're a fan and he's The tie-dye tie was a hit among yeah. the Olympic Village athletes. We wore it all the time. And like together, like the whole outfit. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot of tie-dye. Um, yeah. How are these infamous cardboard beds? Did you get it? Did you sleep? Um, It wasn't the card. The cardboard was actually... I thought was cool like it, the frame of the bed it, it kind of wore down a little bit by the end of the we were I mean we were there for the whole two weeks so some athletes that came for four or five days and left probably didn't have issues but um they kind of wore down a little bit by the end um but it was the mattress that was just rock hard <laughs> I was like I, our team leaders eventually bought us some mattress pads after a few days there because none of us were sleeping um and that really helped and then we actually got to leave them there for some Paralympic athletes which is awesome because I wasn't going to take that home but um yeah the bed the cardboard was actually like and I can appreciate the sustainability from Japan like they did a great job putting that on and 
making sure that they weren't making that big of an impact on the on the earth which i really appreciate um i know it's a joke of the olympics but i thought it was really cool <laughs> no but that well look that's fair enough right it's just from the perspective of somebody who even is loosely affiliated affiliated with athletes like god i hope they can sleep i mean that's that's a big yeah. deal yeah so at least they're yeah. partially successful in that regard i mean i was too nervous i wasn't sleeping anyways so uh. <laughs> that, that didn't make a big difference. <laughs> what do, what do your nerves look like? And what I mean is, what is it that you're thinking that's keeping you awake? If you don't mind sharing that, it was a lot of pressure, and I shared this with my team too. It was like mm. coming into this, like, and having never been here, and then having to play such a large role in this team. Like, obviously, there's only 12 athletes suited up each game. Like, you're not, you can't hide on the bench. Like, you're everyone's playing a lot of minutes in every game, and. I just felt the pressure from like the Olympics from wanting to medal and carry on this like legacy that USA women's water polo has. Um, and then also just in my, and my family would does not put pressure on me at all, but I wanted to make them proud. Like I was putting this pressure on myself to like make my family proud and bring home a medal. And so like, I was so nervous every game, especially the do or die, like the quarter semis finals. I was like, Oh, if we lose this, we're done. Like, I don't want to play for fifth. I didn't come to play for fifth. So it was like, it was, I was just putting a lot of pressure on myself and it just kept me up a lot. <laughs> Were you the only one? I mean, you said you mentioned it to your team. It's something that maybe you talked about with others. Yeah. And I think a lot of the girls, so we had a lot of returners. So some girls have like been here and experienced this already. So I was relying on them to kind of bring me down from this pressure in a sense to just say like, Hey, it's just water polo. Like it's, it's just four quarter game. Like you've played this a million times before in your life. Um, and to be able to focus on that instead of like the, the greatness of the Olympic games um, was really helpful. So I relied on a lot of those girls to kind of be like, Hey, we've, we've been there too. Like Melissa Seidemann was like my first game in London. I was standing, getting introduced. And I looked at Brenda and was like, I'm about to throw up. Brenda's like, it's just water polo. Like, it's just a game. Like calm down. <laughs> she's like, I, that's what I needed to hear in that moment. And she's like, I'll keep telling you before every game, if that's what you need to hear. I was like, honestly, go for it. I'll That's take fantastic. It. <laughs> By the way, she played yeah. so well. Oh my God. It's so oh fun to gosh. watch her. She um, I want to back up just a t tiny bit because then we're going to move on to Hungary, a game that you uh, were should have been nervous about, it looks like. Um, how do you find out that you are a member of the Olympic team? So what I mean is that they obviously push it out via some messaging of some kind, but I'm assuming you learned beforehand. Am I wrong about that? Uh, no, we do. So our coaches really value just like our just telling us face to face. Like mm. it's a it's a big deal. Um, and so he actually has individual meetings with each one of us and tells us in our individual meetings and then tells us like, okay, you can go home and tell your parents, but like, let's keep this mm. under wraps until we can announce it as a group. Um, so yeah, we knew before media day, um, we knew, I think it was like the day or two before that he tells us individually, which is, I appreciate for sure. <laughs> Where does that meeting take place? Just on the pullback at Los Al in uh, his office. We've reached the end of the first half of our conversation today and we'll return in just a moment. All of Total Water Polo is brought to you advertising free and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to totalwaterpolo.com forward slash give so we can continue to cover the sport we all love in the United States and beyond. Hi, this is Tony Azevedo, five-time Olympian uh, and you are listening to the Total Water Polo Podcast. And now, part two of today's conversation. 
Okay, so Hungary. Um, I spoke with Stephania Harlebidis a couple days before the Olympics, and what I suggested to her that you, the U.S. women's national team, looked invincible. And I even said that you guys are actually kind of boring because you have been just demolishing these other teams. And, and she said, oh, no, like, there are teams that are out to get us. And so it turns out that Hungary is one of those teams. We can go back to China because I thought that was actually almost more telling than the Hungary game in its own way. Mm-hmm. But you played Hungary four times in May and you beat them convincingly. I have one question, which is, does do these exhibition games, are they something that we as fans maybe we should just not even pay attention to those outcomes because they're just so, it's so clear that they do not necessarily represent the level of competition that you're going to face in the actual games. No, I, I think there's truth to that for sure. I, I, I mean, I don't want to tell people not to watch because obviously we're still trying to grow the sport and any, any high level water polo is great to watch, especially for young kids um, coming into the sport or wanting to learn or wanting to spark a little dream. But um, I do think that there's some teams just hit another level when they get to the Olympics and whether that's consciously or subconsciously, they get to the Olympics, they get to a big tournaments, they get to a quarterfinal game and they're like, all right, now, now we go, you know? Um, and it's hard, it's hard to gauge for us. And that's, I think why we were a little shaky at the beginning. Cause we, ex- we didn't expect that level, which we talked about it, but I think subconsciously we didn't expect that level of aggressiveness from some of these teams. And, um, yeah, that Congre came out and they were, I mean, they're a great team clearly. And we knew that about them. So we were prepared in a sense, but not for that level of intensity. And, and that's kind of what caught us off guard a little bit. And we obviously did not play well in that game. Um, if you're actually looking at the stats, like we did not shoot well, we did not block well. Um, and I think we played tense. Like it was, we were nervous and that was one of those games where I think the nerves got to me a little bit as well, mm. but I'm happy with the way we responded obviously after that game for sure. Sure. I, and I don't want to uh, dwell on it cause, but it is so interesting cause you've had such success over the past decade essentially. And these are very rare occasions when the team just doesn't perform to the degree that they want to, you, that you don't want to, how you just said that it affected you. How? In what way? Like, do you recall just like you were unable to do certain things that you had beforehand? What What does it look like when you're not playing up to expectations? I mean, I think we're just losing sight of like tiny little things during the game that like when we're supposed to be blocking, we're like losing sight of the mm. ball and watching the player's eyes. We're watching, you know, like just different things that um, we're missing little opportunities and little moments. And when we're getting our shots on cage, I think we're just a little too tense and we weren't being as creative with our shooting. It allowed their blockers and their goalies to read us really well. And I just think like, it's nothing that's um, so blatantly like changeable, but I think it was just like little moments of focus and intensity and effort that um, we're just lacking during that game. Well, I and th- Hungers, I mean, credit to them. They are a really good team. And we, it wasn't, like it wasn't a surprise to us that these teams came out like that and were that aggressive. Like we knew they were good and um, we try to take everyone as seriously as possible. So for them to come out like that, it was like, okay, this is where this is, this is them. This is hungry. This is hungry. We know, you know? Well, I think it's interesting that you described these as little issues. You use the word little. And for somebody who plays at your level, it's just these minor tweaks in the way that you're actually, let's say your body's positioned in the pool or that your mind is focused on certain things, but it's, 
it from an observer standpoint and from a, especially from a newcomer to the sport, it is really super important. Like it's crazy important. They're not little things. They're actually gigantic things, even though you might think, oh, I should have shifted one millimeter to my left in order for shot blocking, something like that. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. There's, and once you get to this level, like you're not making huge strides of improvement anymore. You're making these like little adjustments that make you or somebody else great, you know? Well, it's so interesting that how, again, you're perceived as, uh, and I'm the one who said it, it was like, so almost invincible, but just these really very, um, uh, seen, I almost said little myself, but they, they, these, these things that are not terribly observable make all the difference in the world. And, and, and especially yeah. mentally, um, speaking. So the physicality of that game, the physicality of China, I just wanted to ask. So again, the exhibition series that took place in in uh in california were largely refereed by american referees it's an exhibition it's a friendly it did officiating have a big role in the degree to which the your opponents were able to be physical in your opinion i think it's hard um we've never ever blamed anything on officiating we can't that's just not who we are and i mean the officials have to have a job to do but I will say as like a fan watching the game, it's tough to follow at times because the officiating changes so often. So yeah, in America, you're watching these referees who maybe call it a little bit tighter at center or call more offensives because we're used to high school and college refereeing. Um, but then in the FINA level, you get away with more at center offensively, but defensively you get ejected all the time. So it's hard to follow um, because they call it differently at different levels. And especially like, even world, I don't know if you watched any of our World League Super Final games in Greece a couple months prior to the Olympics, but that was officiated differently than the Olympics was. So, like you talk about our China game, that was our second game there, and it's we're still adjusting. Like, it's not the officials' fault, but we have to adjust to what the officials are calling. So it's it take it's like we got we got to have a little bit of a grace period to figure that out. You know, like okay, they're letting more go offensively and calling it tighter defensively. How can we adjust to like play this game a little bit more? Well, that's, that's a, that is exactly what I meant, which is not to say, yeah. oh, you lost that game because the referees robbed you. It's, mm -hmm. it's way more about and, – and by the way, um, for those who might not know, the Olympics are an occasion in which FINA also puts referees who may have a little bit less experience in certain games. The South African, I noticed, was, uh, in my opinion, not so great, but that's just my opinion. So the, the, the qualities of the referees change – depending on even whether they're from Hungary or Slovakia or wherever, right? Like just ma it makes a difference. And so, yeah, it's not a matter of blaming them, but you've just indicated that it does make a difference, right? You have to adjust to the way that they play from tournament to, to tournament, from game to game, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. China, same thing. Yes. I mean, the, it, and well, let me, I'll put it this way as an observer. It wasn't, in my mind, it wasn't just that they were physical, which they were. They were so grabby, and I'm, I know you guys are accustomed to that stuff, but it was just, it was almost like this melodrama, like everything was like a gigantic frothing foul, and, it, and for those of us who knew the game, it's like, nobody's touching her, it's ridiculous, you know, but that that was actually effective, and so, and by the way, the bronze medal match was like that the entire game, it was just nothing but that stuff, as opposed to your game against Spain, so was that what you observed as well? I, in fact, I'll, I'll put it this way. I noticed, um, I, I'm, I can't remember who, which one of your teammates, I'm, I apologize, but, but looking at the referee, like, what are you talking about? She didn't even, I didn't even touch her, you know, something like that. So was that a level of frustration that you experienced in China and the Hungary games in particular? 
Um, yeah, we try to stay away from that as much as possible. Obviously, like I said, if the refs are calling it, we got to adjust. Maybe throw that into our game as well. But um, China was difficult because nobody has seen China or played against China in two years. So mm. we had no idea what they what they were like fitness-wise, how they were execution-wise. They shot the ball maybe better than any team I've seen at very the Olympic well. Games. They, they were very efficient on their shooting. Um, and honestly, their defense was – I just – we weren't expecting – we didn't know what to expect, to be quite honest. Like, we, we had to be ready for anything. Um, and I remember playing them a couple of years ago, and they had some of that, like, flopping in their game. So, as a defender, it's, it's, it's difficult to defend because you have to kind of play with your hands up at all times. Um, which is a challenge in and of itself. But yeah, like I said, it's that's part of the adjustment as well is just learning about other teams throughout the tournament. Like I'm um Kami Craig, actually, I'm sure you've talked to her before, but she told us and told me before the Olympics, she wrote me a letter that just was like, You don't show up at the Olympics ready to play in the gold medal match. Like you don't show up game one ready to win. So it's it's a learning process it's a two-week tournament you can still get better you can still adjust you can still learn so throughout all these games yeah like china it was like okay we gotta play a little bit safer play with our hands up and same with against hungry it's just you're learning and adjusting the whole time as you go in the course of the tournament how amazing i mean and let, yeah. so that leads to your gold medal match and so Hungary was a hurdle but it was a preliminary hurdle it was something in the opening rounds mm-hmm. you uh, then went on to, to play Canada, you played Russia, you played both of those teams well. I thought that your matchup with Spain was really to your advantage, but I can't really figure out why. Like the outcome to me was not super surprising, but I don't claim to be so sophisticated to know like exactly why the matchups were so much in your favor. I don't know if you agree with that. And then what was it about your, um, what was it about that matchup that was really to your advantage in your, in your opinion? I think, well, we were really excited to play Spain as well. Um, so you're not wrong in that. I think we know them the best out of any team. So we've done, um, well, we've scouted every team pretty equally, but we I feel like we've played them in more championship games than anyone. So we know them really well, but they also know us really well. So it was like, how are they going to show up? How, how what, with what intensity will they show up with today? Um, and it was a gold medal match. So we were ready for anything, to be honest. Um, I think they have two of the best centers in the world, um, but our, our, we pride ourselves on defense. So if we can cut out their centers, we can put a little bit more pressure on their attackers up top, then we felt pretty confident with that matchup. Um, but their centers were going to be a huge challenge for us, for sure. And their shooters, they've got some sharp shooters as well. So if we could get blocks in front of them um, and try to, I guess, eliminate their centers as best as possible, we were confident in our matchup. So we really focused on those two girls. Not only are they the best centers in the world, but they also defend center really well. So if we could get them defending and get them yeah. maybe pretty tired in the first half, get them a few exclusions early on, then we liked our chances. So it was just part of the game plan, I guess. We sort of joked about your 10 exclusions. It is your job. But that was that what you, <laughs> when, when Adam is telling you that you're a member of this team, and I'm sort of making this way more simple than your conversation would be, but is that your role? Like your role is generally speaking center defender, effective shooting. Um, it, you tell us a little bit more about what your expectations were before the tournament. Um, yeah, I knew I was going in as a defender, obviously. And it's, I mean, I've been playing this role on this team for a while now, so I knew kind of exactly where I fit in with these girls, and um, I knew offensively my role was to 
yeah, like you said, shoot when it's my turn to shoot, but set up the girl that's next to me. Like I have Rachel Patel, Maddie Muscle, Maggie Stephens, Mackenzie Fisher next to me. Like I'm gonna get those girls the ball as as most as often as I can. Um, and then defensively, I just yeah, like you said, I got quite a few of exclusions. I let in quite a few goals, so those weren't the best moments of my tournament. Um, but I was just like I said, I was trying to adjust as the tournament went on, trying to just improve my game as the tournament went on, but. Um, I'm not ashamed of those exclusions. No. Like I said, that's my job. And if I can get them at center, then I honestly think that's beneficial. Like I'd rather my the, my team try to make a six on five or five on six stop, you know, than let in a goal if I if I can't avoid it. Um, but yeah, I I knew going into it that my role was potentially get measured, but guard the center. <laughs> I I uh, for the, the the vast majority of people who are listening to this are water polo fans or even coaches or players and so on. So I think they generally speaking know they understand that that is yeah. your job. In fact, I'm a coach. I still have to tell my I have players who cry and they get their second exclusion and like they they feel like they've done something horribly horribly wrong. I'm like, uh, dude, you know, get over it. This is your job. You're supposed to do this yeah. kind of stuff. So um, that that was more just almost in a joking fashion about the exclusions themselves, but it is an indicator of the importance of your role is that that was in some ways a sign of what you were supposed to be doing, which you did overall successfully. You have a gold medal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which is where, by the way, where's your gold medal? Uh, It's in my room. (laughs) Where, where are you going to keep it? Is it going to be on display? Is it going to be just for you? Like, what do you think you're going to do? I don't know. I, well, for the first week, I've been carrying it around with me everywhere <laughs> because everybody wants to see it. Um, so it's in its little pouch. I have like a case for it, but it's in its like little pouch. That I just take it with me everywhere I go. Um, but once all the celebrating is done, I haven't decided yet. I know teammates who have just kind of put put it in a safety deposit box somewhere and left it there. But for me, I'm like, oh, I'm, I kind of want to hang it up. Like my um, husband and my father-in-law made me this case for all my world championship medals oh cool it's like a i don't even know where it is oh it's up there it's like a <laughs> shadow box case kind of yeah. <laughs> and i was like hey you want to make another one of those and I'll just one i just need to put one medal in there and then i'll be happy so if i can do one that'd be great if not i'll figure something out they're pretty big from what i could see i think because you know if you're a fan of the olympics you kind of see what they look like over time they're they're pretty ch- chunky no and heavy interesting <laughs> every time every every person i've handed it to so far the very first thing they say is, wow it's heavy i'm like yeah i know <laughs> i'm surprised too but it's cool yeah well you should i, I just wear it around all the time like hey everyone go <laughs> That's starbucks free coffee give me one um yeah, what makes uh adam kerkorian a good coach because he is now he has to go down as one of the greats of all time yeah, um, I've really enjoyed my time playing with him for sure, or playing for him. But I think he's oh, so many things. Like his preparation, the level of preparation is insane. Like we've spent like a week scouting every team. We spend like each day is so calculated and so planned out so that we make sure we cover like counterattack on Mondays, six on five at the end of the week. Like we're scrimmaging three or four times a week. We like we're getting our conditioning and our skill work like we're every single day and I think the whole I mean if I had to guess is computers filled with calendars and different schedules and the whole four years is probably planned out in a sense um and then day to day it's just I we felt very prepared going to this tournament um and then his commitment level to our team is insane too like like I said there's so many Olympic teams who literally come together like months before the Olympics and 
we're out here training. I mean, this time around it was two years straight because of the COVID year and because of the postponement. So we were training every day together for two years. And um, he's the one that makes that happen. Like he could easily just say, oh, go play abroad or go play with your colleges and we'll come together in May um, and prepare for a couple months. But he chooses to make that commitment to us and us right back to the team and him. What does that look like from an individual player perspective? Meaning that you said he's just super organized. It's well-planned. So like on a typical week, are you given, you got a sheet of paper that tells you, you know, what you're doing every day for the week. And here's what you need to study as the center defender against this particular team in these centers. Is that what it looks like? Or, or give us a bit of a description about what it looks from an individual perspective. Um, no, we don't have like outright the schedule, but I could pretty much sit here and tell you like every like Monday through Saturday, what each day is going to look like. Cause mm. it was pretty Routine. like Monday was yes. Monday's like we do uh weights, a swim set and counterattack Monday, like Tuesdays weights some circuit work in the morning and some position work and scrimmage in the afternoon. It's just like, I could go on and on. Like it looks different every single day. Like one Monday might be three on two and four on three counters. And then one might be six on five, five on six counter or five on four. It's just like, we make sure to get all the different facets of the game in, but every week it's like pretty routine um, and pretty similar unless a team is here scrimmaging with us or training with us, then it, then it's different. Um, or if we go on a trip or something for sure. But, um, and then leading up to the Olympics, he'll give us a schedule that says, like starting back in March, maybe, or yeah, February or March, it was like, okay, this week is our hungry week. We're going to spend all week preparing mm. for hungry. We watched all the video. Uh, the defenders were in charge of making a scouting report for their centers, centers for the defenders, attackers for attackers. And, and we like created team scouting reports. Adam gave us a scouting report. And then even in practice, it was like, okay, we would prepare for a five player zone or we'd prepare for an M zone. And um so, and then we just went through the list and every week was a new team. So that in the sense was, we got a schedule and we were prepared for those, um, but not day-to-day -day schedules. Usually we just show up and he's like, all right, here's what we're doing today. Most of us are like, could have guessed. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when you're talking about knowing these two centers from Spain very well, it's because you had to go do the scouting work yourself and then present it to everyone else. Yeah, we did a lot as a team as well. Like we watched a lot of video and um, did like team scouting and their style of play, what defenses they run, what after goal plays they run. But um, yeah, I watched a ton of video on just their centers and created a scouting report with all the defenders on our team. We did it together. Given all the preparation that you do, um, and we talked a little bit about Hungary was a surprise, China was a surprise. How often does it happen that you're as even as well prepared as you are, that a team does something like, holy crap, I've never seen that at all. Like, is it, is it, do they sometimes just put out there something brand new for you? Not really. I mean, occasionally teams will throw out like a new play. Like Hungary ran a end of game play in their game against Russia, maybe in the group play stage. And I remember scouting that game, rewatching it, and it's like, okay, that's just it's just a new play, yeah. and it, it almost worked. I mean, it should have worked in my opinion. It should have been a penalty, but um, they. Like those things we got to take note of during the tournament because I mean, every team probably comes with like a few new plays, like, but then their style of play and then the flow of the game, a lot of it's, I mean, I'm sure as we are like scouting wise, people can scout us pretty well, but um, like the, their defenses, they run mid game. They're pretty much, we, we see what we, we know what we're going to get, you know? 
I, I'm fixating on the fact that you just used five words that I said over and over, which was should have been a penalty. Holy crow. I couldn't believe how, <laughs> oh, how frustrating yeah. is that? Yeah. It's like, why bother with a rules change if that's not going to be anyway, that's a me editorializing. You don't have to say anything. I get to complain <laughs> about it. Um, we've been talking about Spain. You spent a year in Spain uh, playing professionally, uh, 27, 2017, 18, San Andreo, by yeah. the way. What a, that's that pool. Good. That's such a great place to play. Um, that was awesome. And Barcelona's fun. Any plans on going back? Or generally speaking, what's next for Elise Williams? It's a very talk show host kind of thing to ask. <laughs> um, I would love to travel, but I don't think I'll be playing any more water polo in oh. Europe or at home, really. <laughs> um, but I think I'll coach. I love coaching. So any opportunities I get to coach, I'll definitely hop in there. Maybe some Masters water polo, we'll see. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I'm just going to enjoy these like next few weeks celebrating at home with family. And um, whatever happens, happens. I'm not closing the door on anything, but um, I'm pretty content with my water polo career thus far. Yeah, sure. con- content meaning that you're sort of, I mean, as, again, anything can change. Ask Mike Tyson. But, you know, you're done with the national team as far as you know. As far as I know, I'm ready to take a step back. I want, I'm, I just got married. I want to spend time with my family, start my own family. But, um, yeah, like you just said, anything can happen. You never know. World <laughs> championships next May is coming up pretty soon. <laughs> and you get the itch. Right. And it's only three years to Paris. You know, that's the other thing. Yeah, that's true. Okay. That's true. But no, I'm, I'm pretty happy with this. Well, that's Elise Williams. She's got a gold medal. She had a story about uh, being cut from the 2016 Olympics that got, uh, you know, almost, uh, pushed to death on NBC, but uh, a very successful uh, Olympics for you (laughs) and for your teammates. And uh, I very much appreciate you chatting with us today. Thank you very much, Elise Williams. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. That's it for today. We'll return soon with more of the Total Water Polo Podcast, but thank you for listening and telling a friend about us. And of course, subscribe and do all that podcasty stuff on most of the biggest uh, distribution channels. Also, go to TotalWaterPolo.com forward slash give to help us remain advertising free. And while you're there, go check out our collection of Total Water Polo and TX Water Polo goodies by clicking gear at the top of the menu. Until next time, so long from Austin, Texas. This has been a production of TWP Sports LLC.